Welcome to the PEDSNP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Becky Carson, Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America, and today we have the privilege of a special guest again, Dr. Monsi Cotwall. Dr. Cotwall and I are good friends from when we lived and worked together in Washington, D.C., and now she is a second-year fellow at Johns Hopkins University in Allergy and Immunology. Thank you for joining us again, Dr. Cotwall. Yes, thank you for bringing me back. We've talked previously about acute care diagnoses as they relate to dermatologic manifestations of allergy and immunology, but I'd like to address some diagnoses that our primary care providers might see. Can you tell us about serum sickness-like reactions? What causes them? How can we tell them apart from other allergic reactions? And let's talk about management too. Yeah. So serum sickness is actually a reaction that'll occur days to weeks after exposure. It sometimes can be a little bit earlier if you have been exposed to the medication or whatever is causing it, an infectious agent before, but usually it occurs within days or weeks. So this is definitely different than your, you know, classic IgE mediated allergy where you have symptoms quite immediately. So it's a non-IgE mediated reaction. Penicillin and Bactrim are going to be the most common medications that you see causing serum sickness or serum sickness-like reactions in pediatrics. Serum sickness reactions are a type three or what we call an immune complex mediated hypersensitivity reaction. So basically you need the antigen, you need the antibody, you need the formation of the antigen antibody complex, or what we call the immune complex. And when you have an excess of these and it can't be cleared quickly, you'll get the serum sickness-like reaction. The complexes will deposit in tissues, especially the joints, which is why sometimes you'll get the joint pain and the joint swelling, and then trigger an inflammatory response. Some clinical manifestations commonly are this classic serpentiginous rash with central pallor or faint purpura, arthralgias, lymphadenopathy, and sometimes you can get a low-grade fever. Your differential is going to be vast, but some of the main things that you should think about are viral xanthems, vasculitis, acute rheumatic fever, erythema multiform, and JIA, especially with the joint involvement. That is super helpful. And, and to think about those immune complexes, I think those are actually what has always helped me make that final diagnosis because they are palpable in a way that hives and other exanthems typically are not, um, has this very snake-like meets lace appearance. Yes. Faint in the middle, but you can touch it. And parents might have actually even noticed that it became more palpable over days. And sometimes it might even be purpuric where it's not going away. It's not blanching. Um, so as long as providers keep serum sickness, like reactions on their differential, it is such a classic appearance of that rash that I, I really hope that they'll recognize it. And so how should they work this up and treat it? Yeah. So usually we'll do labs if they're having a moderate or pretty severe reaction. And these labs are going to include a CBC ESR, CRP, urine analysis, renal function panel, sometimes liver function panel. If someone has a classic story and is otherwise very well appearing, it's completely fine to hold on labs. No one's going to fault you for doing them either if you really just want to be sure. But a lot of these patients can actually be sent home from the ED. 
and managed at home. Very few patients actually have to come in and stay in the hospital. If you do get labs, your inflammatory markers are usually gonna be elevated pretty quickly after the reaction starts. About half of the patients will have proteinuria. Some patients will have a mild bump in their creatinine, but this is going to quickly resolve after stopping the offending agent. And sometimes, especially in the patients that are edematous, you're gonna see hypoalbuminemia. Really the treatment is supportive care. So you're gonna remove the culprit. You're gonna add that to the allergy list. You are gonna manage pain with NSAIDs. You're gonna give antihistamines if they have itching. Steroids is really only used for really severe cases. So really high fever, severe joint involvement, the rash is very extensive, but we do try to hold on steroids if possible. And then just keep in mind that, you know, differential for these rashes, especially with these various other symptoms and system involvement, can be really vast, like we talked about before. So one thing to remember is just history is super important. I remember on my first day on call as an allergy fellow, I got a consult for somebody that was admitted to the PICU, actually had a quite severe reaction. And when the patient was signed out to the floor, they were told that the reaction happened because she had new pillowcasing. After we saw her, the family actually said that she was recently on amoxicillin for strep throat, and she had the classic presentation of serum sickness. So just always remember to dig a little bit deeper. And if the shoe doesn't fit, think about something else. Um, And also remember that patients are not going to volunteer a lot of information. So you will have to ask. Sometimes you'll say, oh, are you on any medications? And they'll say no but that's because they don't consider Motrin a medication or Tylenol a medication, or in this case, even amoxicillin a medication. Or they Um, took it days ago and they finished it and they're no longer on it. Exactly. (laughs) That is good advice for any provider anywhere when any specialty always, always. It seems as though hives are a common dermatologic presentation in pediatric allergy and immunology. You probably see them a lot. And serum sickness-like reactions can be distinguished from hives by that appearance of the rash that we were talking about and the inciting etiology, um, that it's usually past tense. But I also see patients who have plain old urticaria that is very straightforward and it comes and goes without other symptoms or without other significant history. And these patients interestingly enough, tend to be toddlers who, when you get that history, they just started daycare in the last one or two months. And so now they're being exposed to these cold viruses that they've never seen before one after the other, after the other, because we know how generous children can be with their germs in the daycare setting. And it's been explained to me that they have twitchy B cells that cause their hives. That was a a cute term that I heard used. What does that mean? So I like that term. I've actually never heard that before. What I think that definition is really just saying is that the cells that are involved in the development of hives are so sensitive and will just go off whenever they want. Hives are actually caused by mast cells and basophils that sit at the level of the skin and release histamine. And sometimes the trigger is known. So it could be an allergic reaction. It could be a virus, like you were saying, fevers, heat, cold, pressure, exercise. 
but often it's actually not known. And that's what we call idiopathic urticaria, meaning we don't know the cause. Hives are actually one of the most common reasons that people come to the ED and also seek care with their primary care provider or a specialist. And it's probably the most frustrating diagnosis for patients because if we don't know the cause, we can't tell them what's causing it. We can't tell them how to avoid it or prevent hives from coming back. But the silver lining is, is that usually in the cases of idiopathic urticaria, the hives will resolve after several months on their own and not come back. And so how are we making this diagnosis? Am I just listening for the toddler who started daycare or do I need to get labs to rule something out or rule something in? Yeah. So usually it's just a clinical diagnosis. A lot of families will say my kid got hives. I often will ask families to show pictures because hives is a common term, but there's definitely times where sometimes they're confused with maybe atopic dermatitis or a viral rash or some other type of rash, but usually it's a clinical diagnosis. There are cases where let's say that you had somebody that on top of hives also had a history of recurrent fevers, weight loss, joint pain, other types of rashes that are different than hives that you might want to consider working up for some sort of rheumatologic cause. This is usually, you know, your teenage girl patient um, that, you know, they're more at risk in general for autoimmune conditions. This is really rare and definitely not a reason to get labs on every single patient with hives, but definitely something to think about because your history is going to help you decide whether you need to go down that path or not. I'm hearing some common themes of history and keeping our acute care differential open, which I love other than reassurance and referral to your specialty. How can we best manage these patients? So it's actually pretty straightforward. We will either double or sometimes even quadruple the dose of Zyrtec. We can also double the dose of Allegra but we usually don't go beyond that. So I often prefer Zyrtec because you can actually go up to four times the dose. It'll usually be double dose in the morning, double dose in the evening. You don't have to do it four times a day. We definitely want to avoid steroids if at all possible. It will take the hives away very quickly, but they'll come back with a vengeance. So really there's, there's no role for steroids in these patients. Cool baths, ice packs can help as long as they don't have like a cold induced urticaria. And then providing the family lots of reassurance. So there's families that will come in once, they get the reassurance, the hives are still there a month later, and they make another appointment because they just want to make sure that there's nothing else wrong with them. So it's a lot of reassurance for these families because you can imagine, I mean, getting hives every single day or every other day would be really, really annoying. (laughs) So I can understand why families would get frustrated and also worried. That has been super helpful. Do you have any last minute thoughts or pearls of wisdom for our providers who are not yet experts in allergy and immunology? To be really honest with you, I would say, I guess the running theme of this entire talk, as you pointed out, is that history is key. Learning to get a good history is going to be really important, not only in the field of allergy, but in any field that you decide to practice. And also never put a patient in a box. 
So if something does not fit the clinical picture, even if it was presented to you that way, like if you were signed out a patient that has X condition, or you see a patient in clinic that has this diagnosis listed in their diagnosis codes, if it doesn't sound like that's what it is, I would not be afraid to challenge it and consider other possibilities. That was Dr. Monsi Cotwall, Pediatric Allergy and Immunology Fellow at Johns Hopkins University Hospital. I hope that you'll like, comment, and subscribe to the Peds NP, where we focus on a practical application of evidence-based practice. There's no financial support or conflict of interest in this or any episode of the Peds NP. Find me on Instagram at the Peds NP podcast. DM me or send questions and comments to thepedsnp at gmail.com. You can see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. You're learning for the kids. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.